There is a balance between um, somebody who really requires that extra nursing care with um, trying to find out ways to, to keep um, people at home. Not being able to see your family or your friends or go out for the holidays. Being confined in the building is rough. Or at least to make them a short-term um, kind of situation until somebody can, rem can ready their home. Just keeping the whole morale up and being able to do things with them to keep the spirit alive. I think that is going to be the way forward to try to, to rely less on, on those kind of facilities. I'm Sarah Fenske. This is St. Louis on the Air. For the past 24 years, Cooper House has provided long-term care for people unable to live independently due to HIV-AIDS. The Central West End facility normally has about 36 residents, and it prides itself on the quality of life it can offer them. But this last year has been tough for anyone in the long-term care business. Cooper House has not been immune from the bigger industry's struggles. And joining us today to talk about how they're doing is Pat Plumley. She's the chief program director for Doorways, and that's the nonprofit that runs Cooper House. Pat, welcome. Thank you. I'm glad to be here. And we're also joined today by Dr. Jim Heinrichs. He's the medical director for Doorways and Cooper House. He's also a longtime board member for Doorways. Dr. Heinrichs, welcome. Thank you. Thank you, Sarah. So, Pat, I want to start with you. This pandemic has hit care facilities so hard. How did life at Cooper House change in 2020? Well, as you said, we normally have pretty much of a full house and... Um, Mainly our biggest challenge was to try to keep all of our residents safe and keeping them in the building. Um, and as long as COVID, when it's first started, and as long as we kept going, we had to keep them in the building for months. And a lot of these people who have come to us are coming in out of homelessness, mm -hmm. and sometimes they get restless, and they want to be able to go out and about and see their families and go to the store and go get a soda and go on outings with our activity person and they're finally feeling like they're home at doorways and they enjoy getting out in the community and being able to feel like they're part of the community even though they now have a place to call home which is what doorways prides themselves in mm -hmm. and but being confined in the building is rough and not being able to see your family or your friends or go out for the holidays and it takes a toll on people i mean it's taken a toll on all of us and we've been able to go to work and go home and run to schnooks if you need to run to schnooks if you have to and um so they've really struggled and mm -hmm. it has we also have dealt with the people everybody has an immune immunodeficiency and when you're dealing with that with this pandemic, it has it's taken a lot of bouts of loneliness and isolation in our buildings and it's it's been rough all around. So and 
Dr. Heinrichs, I'd, I'd love to get just a little bit of a medical perspective on this. Everyone at Cooper House is living with a diagnosis of HIV-AIDS. How does that affect their susceptibility to something like COVID-19? Well, it's a, it's a respiratory virus to begin with, so they are uh, going to be more susceptible because a good number of them are chronic smokers, may have lung disease. They have a lot of other comorbid conditions, and, you know, and... Uh, in addition to their HIV, which we try to keep pretty well under control, their, you know, their compliance is good because we have a pharmacy that um, interacts with them every day as far as taking their HIV meds. So from that standpoint, their immunity is at its maximum, but they do have these other comorbid conditions that make them more susceptible to COVID if they're exposed. So for a lot of uh, care facilities, they're dealing with um, a, a population of senior citizens. I understand that's not necessarily the case for the people living at, at Cooper House. Some of them may be in their 50s. So how do you begin to keep them safe from this disease that's just ravaging the community? What, what kind of protocols, Dr. Heinrichs, uh, were you able to put in place? Well, primarily we've adopted pretty much what, uh, what long-term care facilities use as their model. And we basically test uh, the staff um, at times every week to make sure that that they're all negative. And then if there is any cases involving the staff, then at that point we wanna make sure that all the residents are tested. And, um, and then we just go from week to week on when we can, when we have to tighten um, regulations and visiting and that type of thing, as opposed to um, if we have a period of time when there's, you know, three or four weeks without any new positive cases, then we can relax things a little bit, just like a long-term care facility can do mm-hmm. as far as uh, allowing them for brief um, interludes outside the facility to visit family and things like that. But that's a double-edged sword because these days when there's so much in the community, if they're out for an extended period of time, say overnight with their families, we essentially have to put them on quarantine when they come back into the facility so that their freedom is somewhat limited again because of that interaction outside the facility. Pat, just beyond how hard this is physically and and the fears of the susceptibility to this virus, that sounds like that's got to be so hard um, emotionally, spiritually for for these uh, residents. It is. It's very difficult, um, but it's been hard for staff and it's been hard for residents. So um, one of the things that I think it was just serendipity that in April we were actually, as we were having to lock down the building, um, we actually had hired our first full-time behavioral health specialist who was able to begin seeing the residents um, who were really struggling um, and that was very helpful. We also had found grant, some grant funds and we received donations um, from for some special meals for the residents and the staff. We were able to connect up cable and internet for the residents' rooms. We bought coloring books and snacks and things. Um, we were able to really be able to help increase their level of just keeping the whole morale up and being able to do things with them to keep the spirit alive inside the building, which needed to happen. And even though there was still times that it felt kind of lonely for them because they were disconnected from 
their maybe their blood relatives doorways is always felt like a family and the staff always feel like a family with the residents and that's throughout doorways and all of the different programs so it really became that way with during this time of struggle because the staff were struggling just as much as the residents were mm -hmm. i mean it, it was hard it was hard for the staff to say do i go into this building knowing that there might be COVID in here or that we know there's COVID and then they have to think about going back home and am I going to possibly unknowingly take it to home and so everybody was kind of struggling so we really did look at ways and opportunities to make sure that we all remained whole through this. Well, that's so important. And, and uh, you both have mentioned there there were some cases. I mean, it's just impossible to yes. avoid in this line of work. Um, has everybody been able to get through this or were some of the residents lost to, to COVID-19? Um, for the most part, we did very well. We um, had a, a really good rate of people being able to bounce back. Part of that is due to we actually um, designed a COVID unit in one of the on one of the floors where the nurses could take special care of just the people who had been tested positive for COVID. We did have a couple of um, residents who had a lot of other issues going into it. And so those couple individuals had to go and go to the hospital. They weren't able to stay with us mm -hmm. and um, had to go to a higher level of care. And um, for that, two of them did not make it, but everyone else has come back and is doing fine. Well, I'm so, I'm so glad to hear that, that for the most part, these residents are doing well. I'm, I'm sorry about yeah. those two. I understand that, that your numbers are down. As, as we mentioned, you normally have about 36 residents. You've got 27 right now. Um, right. What, uh, what's led to that decrease? Well, just like the industry has everywhere, we do have an 18% decrease right now um but that is kind of the the industry standard mm -hmm. and um it's hard for people to know that when they're coming into a new home that they'll need to quarantine for the 14 days right up front and that they're not going to be able to have people come in to visit so mm -hmm. we're looking at ways now to help ease that transition but still keep people safe because that is what our main goal is to do is to keep people safe. We can't literally bring someone new in and put everyone else at jeopardy of not knowing if they have had, if they are, have been exposed to COVID until mm -hmm. we know that they've had that time to do the quarantine. So doorways is in existence to serve those who need our help. So, you know, even back when we came in existence, it was because people didn't know what to do when someone had HIV AIDS. So we opened our doors and said, you're welcome here. And we don't really see our jobs as done yet at this point. So we're gonna continue to serve those who need us. And during this time, it was stressful and nerve wracking, but thank goodness we were blessed with the great supporters and staff who were able to donate all of those things and send us meals. So, mm -hmm. and grant right, and our grant writers gave us all the different tools that we needed to keep moving. So even though our census might be down right now, we're still in this for the long haul and 
we'll still be continuing to do our mission until we get to the other side of this. And, and, and speaking of that other side, I mean, there there is a ray of hope here. Um, this vaccine yes. is, is now being distributed. Dr. Heinrichs, um, has Cooper House been able yet to get uh, doses of the vaccine? Well, that's a great question and a very timely one because we just <laughs> found out uh, yesterday, I believe, that we're paired up with Walgreens. Uh, Walgreens and CVS uh, are pretty much contracted to the federal government to provide vaccine for long-term care facilities. So we reached out to them and Walgreens uh, accepted us as a uh, as an immunization site when they get uh, vaccine. And we just found out yesterday that we will be able to get a small number of doses, I think 36, if I'm not mistaken, Pat, to be distributed. Um, I think our first um, vaccination day is on January 27th. Wow, so, so, so just a couple weeks there. I mean, Pat, that yeah. must just feel like such a huge relief to know it's coming. Yes, and we can actually get more than 36. They had us listed for 36, but that was actually for how many residents that we had. But they have informed us that we can get more for this any of the staff that come in contact with our residents so we'll be able to get everyone vaccinated wow well that is just some great news uh we're talking today to pat plumley she's the chief program director for doorways that's the nonprofit that runs cooper house and we're talking about the uh the people who live there who um, all have diagnoses of hiv and aids we're also joined by dr jim heinrichs he's the medical director for doorways and for cooper house we need to take a quick break but we'll be back shortly to continue this conversation with dr heinrichs and with pat plumley this is st louis on the air on st louis public radio 90.7 kwmu Support comes from the Missouri Forest Products Association. Missouri produces wood pallets, railroad ties, white oak barrels, hardwood floors, and more. Details on the variety of products made in the state are at choosewood.com. And now back to our conversation. Today we're discussing how one local long-term care facility has been affected by the pandemic. Cooper House is in the Central West End. It serves a few dozen people with HIV AIDS. And our guests today are Pat Plumley, the Chief Program Director for Doorways, that's the nonprofit that runs Cooper House, and Dr. Jim Heinrichs, the Medical Director for Doorways and Cooper House. Um, and Pat and Jim, uh, Pat and Dr. Heinrichs were just telling us about how they've got the vaccine now on its way in just about two weeks. Dr. Heinrichs, I understand last week you had a meeting with the staff about this vaccine. Have they been somewhat skeptical about receiving it? Well, I think as with any new vaccine, there's a lot of questions on on safety, how quickly it was developed, how quickly it was approved, you know, all of those kind of questions. So we just tried to give people the information that we have, you know, that this approval process is the same for any vaccine, for any drug. Um, and this is a, tech, a technology that has been in development for over five years but uh, with Ebola and with a variety of other uh, infectious diseases. So it's not a totally new concept, but it does allow for rapid uh, deployment of a vaccine uh, that can be used for many other things, including, including cancer treatment and 
and a variety of other infectious diseases. So we just try to dispel the myths. There's a lot out there. Um, we've, we're seeing that, you know, I sit in on the pandemic task force each, um, each week with Dr. Garza and, you know, we've got an update last night on how, how the uptick in, um, in the healthcare workers is and it's um, it's improving, but it it for a while it seemed like it was only 50 to 65 percent of healthcare workers were taking the vaccine hmm. either. So, so there is a lot of uh, messaging and a lot of um, um, deliberation. I think some people are just reluctant to be the first on the block to get it, mm-hmm. and that may be true of our staff at Cooper House. And there's obviously a lot of um, disparity over the years in terms of vaccination and um, this is a group that that may not even take the flu vaccine without some deliberation so Mm -hmm. it's important that we really let the residents know that this is not a live virus it's not going to hurt them Um, it's going to have some side effects I can attest to that because I got my second dose this past weekend. Oh, yeah. And, so so you're yeah. on board for this thing. How did that second ghost dough? I hear that's the one that, that sometimes that's, leaves some. That is the one. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I had a couple of days of a lot of body aches and some chills and some sweats and things like that. But uh, it's, it's over in a couple of days. There's some fatigue associated with it, which I've heard from other people as well. But you know, when you have side effects, in a way, it's comforting because you know your body is turned on to to make the kind of antibodies that we need to keep us from getting a serious infection from COVID. So mm-hmm. it's all for the greater good. And so just to, to speak clearly for anybody who's listening and thinking about those side effects, do you have any regrets for signing up to take this vaccine yourself? Oh, no, not at all. Because, you know, the overwhelming information suggests that it's going to prevent serious infection. It may not prevent me from getting exposed and having a mild infection, but hopefully it'll keep me out of the hospital. I'm 71, so I do have to be (laughs) concerned about that. You're in that group. Well, I'm so glad you got it. I think that's great. Um, I remain jealous of everybody who's gotten that shot in the arm. Pat, um, bigger picture, if this vaccine hadn't been developed and come along as fast as it did, um, do you think Cooper House would, would still be able to hold on? I do. I think um, Doorways is, I believe that, you know, when you have a mission as important as serving the population that we serve at Doorways, um, people know that we need the support and we need their help to make it work. Mm-hmm. Um Doorways is an extraordinary organization, and somehow we're just seem like we're always able to keep the focus on our mission, no matter what the world seems to throw at our, our throw our way. Hmm. Um, it would, it's not going to, you know, we wouldn't probably be able to get back up to that high level that we want to be at, and that we know that there's so many people out there that need our help to get up to those levels up in the 30, high 30s again. Mm-hmm. Um, and we would have to change the way that we tried to get people to understand why they still need our help. Because what we really want to do in this program is to help people get better, mm-hmm. help people to get their viral load under control, 
help them get more stable and be able to leave our program again and maybe go into one of the other programs that Doorways provides so they can start living life again. Hmm. And there and, and are Pat, certain... How, how long does it take generally for somebody to be within Cooper House to get to that point where they can transition into something like that? Well, there's some people that it might only take, you know, three, six months, but hmm. there's other people that live there for the rest of their life. So it really depends on what's going on you know we've had people in their 20s or 30s that have had to move in and then there's other people that are in their 70s and 80s and stay with us for the rest of their life so it really just depends on what the needs of the individual are and kind of what's happened with their life and you know where they're coming from and what's what's been happening with them because no one comes in just because they have hiv Mm -hmm. there's a lot of other um, health issues that that accompany them so it um we just have to look at them as an individual and see what kind of health help that they need in order to help that individual. And we have two full-time social workers and we have the behavioral health. We have 24-hour nursing care. So we three meals a day. I mean, we, there's everything there that they need. And we work with them to see what they want to do. And then we put plans together to help them and see what they want to do with their life. And that's our goal is to help them reach those goals. And then if it might be we have apartments that we can subsidize apartments that if that's their goal is to get into one of those, then we want to help them get to their their best possible individual health goals that they can get to. And if that means that they're able to live independently, that's what we want them to be. Hmm. So that's that's the goal of this so if we can get this COVID thing under control that's great and that's what we want to really do so I think with the shot we'll be able to get there mm-hmm. well that's great to hear um, bigger picture uh, Dr. Heinrichs Cooper House is such a unique facility and that just as Pat described in many cases you're trying to transition people away from you to a, a less restrictive setting um, but for so many long-term care facilities there's been a lot of newspaper coverage of of just um, you know how much this has the business model. People are thinking twice about wanting to have an elderly loved one, say, in a nursing home. Do you think going forward, long-term care facilities are going to face a lot more competition from things that are home-based instead? I totally agree with that. I mean, I, in my own circumstance, my my mother was uh, in a assisted living and then required a skilled nursing facility near DePaul. And um, there was a period of time when when the uh, pandemic really ramped up that uh, I have seven brothers and sisters and none of us were able to to see her physically. We would have to try to talk to her on the phone and deal with hearing issues and dealing with her being technologically <laughs> difficult to even use a phone. Um, and she had some developing uh, memory loss. And so it, it, um, it was a big struggle for us um, to do that, and at the same time, we knew we couldn't, we didn't have the, the wherewithal to really bring her home to take care of her medical needs. So I think, mm-hmm. I think there is a balance between um, somebody who really requires that extra nursing care, with um, trying to find out ways to to keep um, people at home. I think that is going to be the way forward to try to to rely less on on those kind of facilities, or at least to make them a short term. 
um, kind of situation until somebody can rem- can ready their home to accept them there because mm-hmm. you know I, I I know it it had significant deleterious effects on my mom she um, subsequently passed away oh, I'm uh, sorry. about three weeks ago um, um, the only silver lining to that was we we changed her to hospice when things got really bad and with that we were able to at least see her physically again you know as as time um, went on but you know with her having eight kids I think she just needed that reassurance that we were all going to be okay mm-hmm. before she felt uh, at peace to um, to pass on but um, you know and that that brings up other issues because all of us have some health problems and just visiting her knowing the facility where she was at was having the same kind of struggles that Cooper House is to keep their staff uninfected and that type of thing. So, you know, I've got a brother who's got a bone marrow transplant, and I mm-hmm. finally had to tell him, please don't visit because there's there are cases in that building, and I don't want you exposed to that. So it really brings up a, a lot of issues that uh, that's... You know, in, in the county, we keep track of our long-term care facility because I work for the Department of Public Health. And, you know, in, in November, we had over 100 deaths in, in nursing care facilities, mm. whereas we were down in the 20s or so, you know, September, October, earlier. But with this resurgence of cases, we've had a spike again in, in deaths within uh, nursing home situations. And Cooper House luckily has been able to to pretty much stay away from that so far. So hmm. I think our plans have uh, have enabled the facility to stay pretty safe. Yeah, that's that's so good to hear. You know, it, it is just distressing. As, as you say, there's some people who it really only makes sense to remain in these type of facilities. So, something at home is not going to work for them. Well, is there anything that we could be doing on the state or federal level when it comes to supporting these kinds of facilities? Dr. Heinrichs, I'd, I'd love to hear your thoughts on that. Well, I think the the guidelines that CMS, you know, which represents Medicare and Medicaid, um, have put forward tries to keep um, the residents of these facilities as safe as possible. They're very stringent in terms of testing the staff every week. Uh, if there's a new staff member that becomes positive, then you kind of have to go back to, to, to ground zero and and take the you know test all the residents to try to make sure that there's not been any secondary spread. So I think, I think the plans that have been adopted by the long-term care facilities that are all licensed through you know through Medicare um, have done as good of a job as they can. But they're 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 going to be the victim of what's going on in the community. And when mm-hmm. our community levels are as high as they are right now. There's going to be more and more staff that are uh, that are infected from outside activities, and we can't test them every day to make sure they don't bring it into the facility. But um, you know, the dangerous part of this infection is that so many people, you know, up to 50% don't develop symptoms and can mm-hmm. spread the infection. So all these staff that can come in and interact with your loved ones could be infected and you you may not know it and then we have secondary spread that occurs so it's a it's a very vulnerable population that uh, we need to safeguard and i think the vaccine is coming 
you know, not soon enough, but clearly I think it's going to help long-term care facilities to, to be much safer going forward. Mm-hmm. Well, that gives us all something to look forward to. And, and Pat, I want to bring it back to you here at the end. We just have time for one more question, but um, I think it's really important to talk about the fact that Doorways, this again is the nonprofit that oversees Cooper House, you have a capital campaign underway right now. Um, what are the major plans you have for the funds that you're raising? Um, we are going to expand. I mean, last year we served over 3,000 people at Doorways, and that's approximately 2,000 clients and 1,000 family members. So um, there's more and more people being able to survive now with HIV. So our programs are expanding and expanding because there's still people that need our help. So we have found the need to expand and do a lot more that we need to do with doorways, which is a good problem to have from an agency perspective. Um, But our goal, again, is to keep everyone living as independently as possible. So um, we have the drawn up the plans and by 2022 should have a new campus that we're building and we always need some extra (laughs) help so um in fact we have our um we have our doorways sss red cruise ship event which is going to be a virtual gala on february 6th and if anyone would be interested we could certainly use some help Um, and that you would go to doorwayshousing.org to get the information for that. Um, But we certainly do need some extra help. Okay, well, there's a request for help right there. I hope people are listening. That's doorwayshousing.org. We'll also make sure to get that link on our website. That's stlpublicradio.org for those who want more information. Pat Plumley, Mm -hmm. uh, Chief Program Director for Doorways, I want to thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you. And Dr. Jim Heinrichs, uh, Medical Director for Doorways and Cooper House. Thank you so much. Been a pleasure. Thank you. This is St. Louis on the Air on St. Louis Public Radio, 90.7 KWMU. Do you find yourself regularly listening to episodes of St. Louis on the Air? Suggest us to a friend you think might enjoy our conversations. And leave us a review and rating on Apple Podcasts on the App Store. It's the simplest way to help people discover our show. Thanks. Support comes from the Missouri Forest Products Association, committed to conservation and careful management of the state's forests to make them more resilient and better habitats for wildlife. Choosewood.com.